The Civil Engineering Podcast is published by the Engineering Management Institute and is part of EMI's Civil Engineering Media and Entertainment Network, which can be found at cement.media. That's cement, C-E-M-E-N-T dot media. Welcome to this episode of the Civil Engineering Podcast, the first podcast dedicated to helping civil engineering professionals succeed in work and life. How do you recover from a major career and life setback? I'm your host, Anthony Fasano, and in this episode of the Civil Engineering Podcast, and in honor of International Women in Engineering Day, I'll be talking with Marcia Gelder Murphy, PEFASCE Regional Director of Lockmuller Group, who was recently elected as the ASCE President-Elect for 2023. Marcy is also the author of a book called Cross, Yield, or Burn, Navigating the Bridges of Life. And in this episode, Marcy really shares an inspiring story of her career journey, which had a really devastating accident in the middle of it that she had to kind of overcome. And she did overcome it. And she's now going to be the ASCE president, which is extremely inspiring and exciting. And what she has to share in this episode to me was very inspirational. I'm excited to share it with you. Before we get started, this is a free show and our sponsors help us keep it free. So I would like to thank our sponsor for this episode, Collier's Engineering and Design. Collier's Engineering and Design is a multidiscipline engineering firm with over 1,800 employees in 63 offices nationwide and growing fast. Collier's Engineering and Design maintains an internal culture that is nurtured through the promotion of integrity, collaboration, and socialization. Their employees enjoy hybrid work environments, continuous career advancement, health and wellness offerings, and programs, and projects that have a positive impact on society. Collier's Engineering and Design stays on the cutting edge of technology and their entrepreneurial approach to expansion provides personal and professional development opportunities across the firm. Leadership's dedication to the well-being of their employees and their families is demonstrated throughout the wide range of benefits and programs available to them. For more information, visit the career page on their website at colliersengineering.com. I also want to remind you that if your firm is in need of a professional development system, here at EMI, we can help your firm build that. What is a professional development system or PDS? It can consist of many different things like custom learning and development programs, whether it's people leadership, project management, or seller doer business development courses that we can build for you. It may be career roadmaps and pathway charts to help your employees get really clear on where they're headed within your firm. Right? People are excited when they know where they're going. It could even be helping to establish a mentoring program or putting you on some of our content channels to help you attract top talent. Give us a call today at 800-920-4007 or visit our website at engineeringmanagementinstitute.org and learn about how we can help you build a professional development system that will help you attract, develop, and retain top talent for years to come. With that, let's jump into today's episode. Civil Engineering Podcast. Civil Engineering Podcast. All right, now I'm excited to welcome on our guest to the podcast today. Marcy Gelder Murphy is the ASCE 2023 president elect. I'm super excited to talk to her. Marcy, welcome to the Civil Engineering Podcast. Thank you very much, Anthony. I appreciate the opportunity to be here. So I'm super excited to speak to you on a lot of levels. One, because I'm a 
passionate ASC member. So I'm excited to talk to you about that. And just your whole career and your journey has been what I see is really interesting. So I'm excited to dive into it. So let's start just in your own words, maybe tell our listeners a little bit about yourself, about kind of what it is you do today on a daily basis in terms of kind of your day-to-day job. I know, believe it or not, ASCE presidents have their own jobs outside of ASCE, but they do. It's funny, you go on LinkedIn and you add this role and everybody says, congratulations on the promotion. It's like, well, I still have my day job, but thank you. I guess I do have a a little bit of an unusual journey. I am originally from South Dakota and I came to the state of Illinois. I was hired by the Illinois Department of Transportation, worked on a fantastic cable stay bridge, eventually navigated my way to the consulting world where I founded two businesses and ultimately sold them. And now I am sitting as the regional director for Luckmuller Group, which is a Midwestern general civil engineering firm, and I'm responsible for two states, Missouri and Illinois. I always tell everyone I'm the chief cook and bottle washer, or I I manage crowd control. But really, what my job is, and there's no, I think everyone understands this, there is no typical job or typical day in my job. I try to make sure that everyone in my region here is working at their highest and best efficiency. So my job is to make sure that they have all the tools that they need, that the resources that they have are adequate, and I'm listening to the needs on the operations side, personal and technical development side. And so we just try to keep things running as well as possible. So it's interesting. I have six offices. I People say, where's your office? They said, well, what day is it? I spend different days in different offices between the two states. So it's nice. It's interesting. I love working with the group of people that we have. And as with everyone in, in civil engineering consulting right now, we need more people. Labor shortage is a real issue in our industry. So that's also something that I focus on a daily basis was trying to get more people on board. As an entrepreneur myself, that was interesting to me that you started a few businesses and and sold them. Did you find yourself always with kind of an entrepreneurial flair or? Yes, I have that disease. I do. I instantly, when you present me, even when clients present me with a challenge or an idea, the wheels start turning and I start thinking about what could we do with that or what new subsidiary or service could we provide to address that? I have to calm it down sometimes because I'm always thinking ahead like that. You were recently elected as the ASC 2023 president-elect. So, you know, again, congratulations on that. That's really an amazing feat. So congratulations on that. Thank you very much. So I'm going to ask you to talk a little bit about your goals for ASC in a few minutes. However, before we do that, I want to talk a little bit of something more on the personal side about, I guess it was around 2016 or so, you were involved in a, in a pretty serious elevator accident that kind of left you in a coma for more than a week. Talk a little bit about how that incident kind of changed your perspective on life, career, your ASCE journey. Just talk about, I'm sure that had a a huge effect on you. Yeah, it did. It's funny, you know, we kind of get into autopilot as driven. I'm definitely a type A personality. So I've got my North Star. I don't want anything in my way. I want to get to it. And this accident really stopped me cold in my tracks. It was a blessing in several ways. One was that I had to shut down. I could not keep going. I had no choice. And so 
I was asking in the hospital bed when I finally came out of the coma and was had my wits about me, which took about 30 days. I was asking for my phone and my computer. And my family was telling me, no, you will not be getting any of that. You need to focus on healing and getting better. It's funny to look back and think how crazy that was. But I think that drive deep inside of me is the reason that I was able to come through my recovery and my rehabilitation as well as I did. I had to basically learn to do all the daily skills all over again. I had a pretty severe traumatic brain injury from the accident, and I had to go through cognitive therapy, physical therapy, occupational therapy. And really what it taught me was to slow down, number one, appreciate that a career is not everything, that we have our family, that we have our well-being, and we have other things that are more important in many ways than the career. It really was an eye-opener for me. I, I became very transparent. I had to share with people that as I was recovering that I had some deficits and that was humiliating at times and humbling for sure. And I just knew I had to work hard. I've told people in this about this in the past. My husband didn't even know where I was when I had the accident because I was constantly traveling on the move. I made sure that I thought that everything was okay when I left, but I wasn't being respectful and letting them know where I was. So now when I go somewhere, the first thing I do, I take a picture of the phone in the hotel room so my husband knows where I am, what room I'm in, where I'm staying. And I'm, of course, now much more proactive about letting my whole family know, hey, I'm going to be traveling, I'm going to be here, I'm going to be doing this. And so that they're in the know. And likewise, I want to know, are there events and things coming up that I need to make sure that I'm blocking time for? It's really made a difference in our family, for sure. The other thing is, I recognize everybody has some struggle. And sometimes it's not evident when you talk to people. You don't know what's going on behind the scenes with them. You don't know what struggles they're overcoming or issues that they have. I'm very, very mindful of that now. I try to be aware, very aware, and listen more attentively than I did before. I know it's the silly old saying, you know, don't assume you make an ass out of you and me. But I say that to my kids all the time when, you know, they're looking at someone and saying, you know, why can't that person do this or whatever the case may be? And, you know, you really don't understand what that person is dealing with on a regular basis. And really it goes into every level of life, even in your work, you know, you're managing a team of people and you're, someone on your team doesn't get their deadline done on time. And the first thing might be you want to jump down their throat. But at the end of the day, maybe they got something going on at home and maybe you should have a conversation with them. In addition to our work, for instance, I had to take public transportation growing up. So I was keenly aware of having to rely on the bus for transportation and some of the challenges there. So one of the things we do at our company that I championed is I wanted everybody the last Friday of the month to use public transportation, carpool or ride your bike to work so that they understand the user's experience. We design these routes. We work in light rail and public transportation. They need to understand what it takes. And it's interesting, you know, some people came back and said, wow, I have to do two transfers to get to the office. You know, I said, yeah. So that affects people's ability to show up for work on time if there are delays. It even goes to that level of understanding and appreciating everyone's experience. So I want to just ask you another follow-up question on that because I, myself, like you, I think I have that kind of entrepreneurial 150 mile an hour gene. And 
a lot of ways it's good, but there are certainly ways where it can be challenging because, you know, you can burn yourself out, you can go too fast. And I found with building EMI here, it's good to surround yourself with people that do like to take their time and are a little bit more detailed in things. Did you find that after your accident, you had to develop some new habits for yourself so that you did slow yourself down and you did pay attention to things that you used to, you didn't maybe in the past? Yes, absolutely. I'm keenly aware of my health and my well-being. I really focus on that much more now than I ever did before. And a lot of it is that I was told by medical professionals I had to, but I learned that it was just a much more pleasant way to live and a happier way to live when you can really take a step back and slow down. And like you, Anthony, I do partner myself with the people who are more detail-oriented and they really get into the weeds, which before I would get frustrated with those people. I'd be like, don't worry about that. This is the North Star we're going after. Don't slow us down. And now I see those people as the greatest blessing I could have because they're going to see all of the pitfalls and some of the issues and challenges that I may gloss over because I'm moving so fast. I've gotten very aware of really listening and thinking. You know, before, if someone had said, well, that's a great idea, but here's a potential, you know, downfall, I'd get angry. I'd be like, how dare you, you know, rain on my parade. And now I always thank them. Thank you very much. Thank you for calling me. Thank you for pointing that out. I want people to feel safe and welcome to tell me pitfalls, to tell me things they're concerned about. Let's get it vetted out early. I know from my own experience, it's certainly not an easy thing to do to be able to change some of those habits that you might have with yourself, whether you're someone who goes really fast or someone who goes really slow. I know for me, a lot of times people would say, just slow down. Just slow down. It's not that easy to do. So I know for me, about a couple of years ago, I was interviewing a, a woman on the show and she was the CEO of a company. And she said to me, you know, she did a lot of meditation practice to help slowing down. And so she referred me to an app. I started doing it. It's been three or four years and I've been doing it regularly. And I thank her for that. But I want people to know number one, it isn't necessarily easy. But number two, it's also possible. Whatever you use to help yourself make changes with new habits in your life, a lot of times having some kind of accountability partner, someone to help you, can be helpful for sure. I meditate every day. And as a matter of fact, I did a brief meditation before I got on today because I had a series of meetings and I thought, got to shift the mind. It was in the, you know, the crazy mind mode. Whatever that habit might be for those of you out there, it's good to find something that can break up your day. Like Marcy said, a lot of us are going fast right now. In the civil engineering industry, things are crazy. Infrastructure's booming. There really isn't a company I talk to that, that doesn't say we can't hire enough people right now. Right. So that means we're all busy. So just, I just wanted to kind of touch on that a little bit and certainly want everyone to keep that in mind. So let's switch gears a little bit now and let's talk about ASCE. And for those of you out there that don't, aren't aware of kind of the journey to an ASCE, a national president, I mean, it's really a big journey and there's a lot that goes into it. And that means that whoever, obviously there's an election, but if you are elected, it certainly means that you've put a lot of time in with the organization, and which even another reason that I think Marcy's even more of an inspiration based on what she dealt with and, and came back from that. And, and she's still going to be leader of such a great organization. 
And so with that, Marcy, let's talk a little bit about your vision and goals. I know one of the things from my own experience working, doing a lot of association work with ASCE, I've been executive director of another association, a volunteer leader in a presidential position, you don't really have a lot of time in the realm of things, right? It's like a one-year term, obviously you got the president elect, you know, and leading up to it. But it's kind of like by the time you get in and you get yourself settled, it's almost like, you know, you're kind of like, oh, wow, I'm like a third of the way through or something. So my question to you is, Knowing that you don't have a lot of time, what are some of those big things that you really hope to impact? So at the end of the day, you could say, I was really happy that I focused on this and accomplished this. Great question, because it is so true. I always use this analogy with an organization like ASCE. It's like you're in a dinghy trying to redirect an aircraft carrier. And so a lot of people I do see come into these positions and they do have great ideas and I love them and I adore them for that. But sometimes I don't think they quite understand to change that trajectory of such a large entity is challenging. So from my perspective, really what I want to focus on is the future. I've been with ASE since I was a student member. I've been with ASE for 30 years. And it is the reason that I received the professional and technical development that I did along the way. I was the first person in my family to graduate from college in my immediate family. And so I didn't have a lot of the experience or mentors around me that helped me to understand what it meant to be in college and have this type of career. And so I got that from ASCE. That was my source. They stayed with me through all the changes that I made geographically and career-wise. And so I want to make sure that we do the same for our younger members and student members. That's gonna be my focus, is making sure that we are reaching out to all the young people that are out there. I believe, and I'm, I'm sure that statistics would support this, that the most reliable source of untapped STEM people out there are from unrepresented populations. They don't know of the opportunities that are here, and if they know about them, how in the world do they do it? And so I want us to focus on that. I want us to focus on students and I want us to focus on younger members. And I've already started out by reaching out to various student leaders and younger member leaders throughout our organization, just getting their ideas on what they think is going to be best for them. I appreciate that this organization was made very, very strong by the elders who came before us. And I want to make sure that the organization continues to adapt and be strong for the generations who are coming after us. I'm not changing, shifting anything major. I'm just trying to infuse a more welcoming atmosphere at ASCE. And I think I can do that. I think I can welcome more members and make sure that everyone feels not only welcome to be a member of ASCE, but also that the members that we have are being, their full potential is being realized. And I know that that's out there. As a civil engineer myself, I practice as a civil engineer. I think it's one of those industries where, I mean, it's a great industry. And I think there's so many great things and exciting things about it now and going in the future. I mean, I tell people all the time, and I probably say this on every podcast episode, the listeners are probably getting sick of it, but there are probably going to be jobs in civil engineering tomorrow that there don't exist today, right? There's all these technologies, there's all kinds of things that's really exciting. But I think the challenge sometimes with civil engineering is sometimes the more experienced leaders, if you will, have traditions and they're stuck in certain ways. And so 
for leaders like yourself to come in and say, hey, I need to get kind of the pulse of the next generation, understand what they want, understand what they need, and start to make some shifts in this organization to speak to that generation. I think that's really important. And honestly, I think an example of why I think this is possible is because before the COVID pandemic, 90% of civil engineering firm owners or executives would have told you there's no way we can operate at 100% remote. Right. And then March 2020, 95% of civil firms were 100% remote. So if we can do that, then we can certainly make other types of changes. So I think it's promising. And I think it's a great focus because that is the future. And I'm glad to hear that you really want to listen to that next generation and understand how we can. It's a great organization as it is, but we can always upgrade it and change it and flex it to encompass you know, a wider range of members. Exactly. And, you know, Future World Vision is another project that I am passionate about. When I was on the board, I voted for it and there was concern about the cost. But I think as civil engineers, going back to what you said before about we've got wonderful, amazing, experienced leaders who have been in this field for a long time and have paved the way for us. And it's now time to let the new generation step up and take those leadership roles. And for some of them, it's hard to understand not being, as I call them, digital natives, how important this tool is going to be starting in the college and utilizing that for planning and design and execution and getting all of the different professions together, working together as a team and collaborating instead of being siloed. You know, the electrical engineers, the system engineers, the mechanical engineers, and the civil engineers so that we are driving this change and are ahead of it than reacting to it. That's going to be an important initiative that we need to really stand behind. I'm excited to you know watch you as the ASC leader, and I'll certainly reach out to you beyond this. I'd love to help in any, any way that I can. Oh, wonderful. All right. So switching gears a little bit here, you recently published a book. The book is entitled Cross, Yield or Burn, Navigating the Bridges of Life. Tell us what made you write that book. What's it about? What was the inspiration? It's an interesting situation. So I was faced, I was the owner of my first company that I founded. I had young children at home, found out that my parents both were very ill and we're still living back in South Dakota. I was here in Illinois. And so it was like all these things were happening all at once where I had all these uh, responsibilities and pulls on my time. And I think a lot of us right now are dealing with that. We're the sandwich generation, as they say, right? We've got kids, we've got a career, and we've got, you know, in some cases, our parents that we're trying to be responsible for. While I was my taking time off and being with my dad as he was going through chemotherapy for his cancer, I needed to be in the room with him. I wasn't in the right frame of mind to work. So I started doing vignettes, just stories about this is what's happening today. You know, it was a way for me to occupy my time, but I wasn't doing anything that I felt would jeopardize, you know, my state of mind, so to speak. After going through all of that and having all these vignettes together, I started realizing a lot of people were reaching out to me, asking me, how are you doing this? How are you running a company? How are you taking care of your kids? You've also got family to take care of. How are you doing this? And so I thought, gosh, you know, maybe this book would be helpful for other people. Maybe a book would be helpful for other people if I put all these stories together and made some sense out of it, sort of share the story. 
my sister wrote the foreword and she said there's no pithy advice or there isn't it's not gee this is what you need to do at all it's just the story of what i did to get through this time and how i realized that you come up to certain bridges as i call them and sometimes people always say well don't burn a bridge sometimes you do need to you know, if that bridge is toxic, if it's not helpful to your lifestyle or your well-being, you do need to burn that bridge. Being busy all the time, that's a bridge needs to be burned. Sometimes you have toxic relationships and you need to just let those go, you know, and move forward. And so I talk about that and I talk about what I learned from the bridges that I did cross, the ones I needed to yield on a little bit through this whole process. And the important thing was that it was just a process of understanding the opportunities that were presenting themselves during a really awful, terrible, struggle, painful, emotionally painful time in my life. And I just hope that it will help somebody who goes through the similar process to understand you can get through it. When all of this was going down, I was training for my very first marathon, which I ended up running. And I ran a few more after that before the accident. And so it was how all of that played into it too, into me getting through this. The running was really almost a medicine for me. So you were writing those vignettes. This was before your accident. Yes. There's nothing about the accident in the book, which is funny because a lot of people, when they heard that I had published the book, they said, oh, did you write a book about the accident? Well, the funny thing is, Anthony, I was out of it for at least 30 days after the accident. I have no memory whatsoever. I said, if we do a book about that, I'm going to have to rely on everybody else to help me write it because they're going to have to give me their impressions. I can write after the fact what I went through. This book is available if people can find it online? or I've got a website. It's called navigatingthebridgesoflife.com, and you can go on there and order the book. Marcy, we're publishing this episode on International Women in Engineering Day, and this yeah, it's an important day. And this year's theme is Gender Equality Today for Sustainable Tomorrow, which aims to really recognize women who are working to build a more sustainable future. What would you say are some of the things that can be done to promote diversity and gender equality and to support women in the engineering world to kind of achieve their potential? This is a great subject that's near and dear to my heart. I'm from South Dakota and my family, my extended family is in the Native American community. So I understand what it's like to have, to be the subject, not just because I'm a woman, but also to be from a marginalized population, to be subject to implicit bias. What's really fascinating and, and interesting to me is that really good people, I mean, good people that I adore and I respect are even unaware of their unconscious bias. And so it's challenging to be respectful and help them understand how these things drive us. And it's even something as simple as I was saying, not understanding if you've never had to use public transportation. It's just very simple things like that. People immediately feel judged like, oh, I'm a certain type of person because I believe this. And that's not it at all. It's the very subtle, insidious things that we are not aware of because we've had a different experience in our life. So I think the important thing when we're looking at expanding the diversity in our profession and, and certainly in our professional association is making people feel safe and welcome. 
letting them see people who look like them in positions of authority or leadership, that's what we really need to do. I saw this statistic last year and it really astonished me that in the first 20 years after women get their engineering degree, most leave the profession. So what that means is there's a serious gap in the executive and C-suite level because we've lost this vast majority of our membership, you know, and our team for various reasons. I'm not going to go into the details of that, but the fact is that they're gone. 70% are gone in the first 20 years. And so that gap of diversity in our organization's leadership makes it even more difficult for people like myself who want to come in and sort of break that glass ceiling, if you will. And I certainly recognize some of the challenges there, but I do not give up because I understand that there are a whole group of women and marginalized people behind me that need to see people like me and a lot more people like me in these leadership roles and in these C-suites. That's number one, is just to be able to see people that look like you and understand that they respect some of the challenges that you've gone through. Number two is that we need to make sure that everyone recognizes this. We can't resort back to being defensive. We have to be open-minded. It goes to what we were talking about earlier, that we need to be open to everyone's experience and everyone's unique situations. And that doesn't mean that we're feeling sorry for someone. It doesn't mean that we're being ignorant to our own biases. It just means listen and be open and understand what everybody's dealing with because we can't afford to lose the magnificent talent that's out there. We have to have them. If we're going to solve some of these big challenges that we've got in our world right now, we need to have all of those best and brightest minds involved in the solution. And we talked about this a little bit earlier when you talked about getting out into some of these underrepresented communities and schools. That's a big part of it. I mean, listen, I think every time, whether it's a woman like yourself gets into a leadership position like an ASC president, that's always helpful and it can help us to build more momentum. But I think at the same time, if we want to really get to the root of the problem, it's getting out there to the youth, like you said, which is one of your goals, which is great because at that point in time, they're open to anything, really, if we can get in front of them because their minds are just like blank canvas in terms of their careers and what's ahead of them. So I'm excited that you're going to focus on the youth side of this as you get into your ASU career, because we do. I mean, my wife is a civil engineer and I know that a lot of women in civil engineering, but we still need to continue to try to help them grow and get into those positions and really grow confidence. And I think that's another thing. I think when, if there's a woman out there and she's a civil engineer and she sees you taking over as ASC president, I have to imagine that that would boost people's confidence to help them in their careers. And I think that that's a big part of it. Yeah, I think everything that you're doing just from your own career standpoint and some of the goals you have is going to be excellent in terms of helping to continue to elevate women in the profession, which is a great thing. So with that, we're going to take a short break and then we're going to come back and wrap things up by putting Marcy on the Civil Engineering Hot Seat. Civil Engineering Podcast. Civil Engineering Podcast. All right, before we put Marcy on the civil engineering hot seat, I would like to recognize our other sponsor for this episode, PPI, a leader in engineering exam prep for the FE and PE exams. PPI's reputation and history sets them apart. PPI has helped engineers achieve their licensing goals since 1975. Their courses and review materials are based on decades of experience. They schedule their courses over two to three months to ensure you can properly retain information and allow enough time for homework. 
they ensure students don't have to cram for their exam. Their courses come with everything you need. They offer robust programs with access to lectures, forums, learning hub, books, slides, and more. Their programs place a big emphasis on homework. They believe that practicing as much as possible is crucial to exam success. PPI's instructors are very highly rated on student surveys. They are extremely attentive and knowledgeable. Check out PPI today at ppi2pass.com to see all the options available for FE and PE exam prep. Again, that's ppi2pass.com. All right, we are back with Marcy Geldert Murphy. Marcy is the ASC 2023 president-elect, among many other things, of course, in her career that she's talked to us about. All right, Marcy, now we're going to get to some of the fun stuff. We're going to put you on the civil engineering hot seat. You ready? I'm ready. All right. So do you have any specific rituals that you practice every day? Maybe it's a morning routine or a lunchtime routine or just something that you do consistently on a daily basis that has contributed to your success? I do have a morning routine that really sets the stage for my day. I start with I meditate and I just a short meditation, usually 20, 30 minutes. And then I walk my pit bull, Sophie, and that's a great start for my day. And then when I return from our walk, my husband, Shane, always has a healthy smoothie made for me. It just starts my day out great. I know you have your own book that you wrote, but what is a book that you might recommend, maybe another book that you might recommend to an engineer? It doesn't have to be engineering related, but any book that you may have found helpful to you in your career that really stands out, like, oh, that book was great for me. I recommend this book to all the mentees that I mentor, Nonviolent Communication by Marshall Rosenberg. And basically what it boils down to is, in its essence, is learning to ask what you need in a way that is not an emotional response, in a nutshell. When I'm not being understood, I get very frustrated and I'm quick to have an emotional response. And reading Marshall's book has really helped me to understand how to ask what I need without getting into that emotional reaction. Next question here, Marcy. Thinking back on your managers of the past, if you think about some of your favorite managers or manager, and you don't have to name any names, but what made them your favorite? Just trying to understand some of the great characteristics of leaders that you've dealt with or that you've worked for. This one manager, he's still a mentor to me today. What I loved about him is that he really was quite an accomplished fiduciary manager and understood the money side of the business and understood the bottom line and understood operations too. He was an operational genius. When he was working with me, he was more focused, at least that's what I felt, about my professional and technical development than he was about the bottom line. And to this day, I feel that way. And I watched him grow this company and he retired at a fairly young age. And not only did he retire, he sold all his shares and he moved on because he had such a great succession plan in place. And I saw that. He did that with me and he did it with everybody else who came along in the business. He was concerned about them, about us and our professional development and our technical development. And he knew the byproduct of that was going to be a healthy bottom line. And I learned a lot from that. And like I said, I still rely on him. I still call him when I have challenges and I want, I need a, an ear from an expert or a trusted advisor. 
All right, Marcy, I've got one final question for you. Let's say that you happen to meet up with a less experienced civil engineering professional, and you only had about 30 or 40 seconds with that engineer to give them some piece of valuable career advice. What would that advice be? I had a really wise manager, another different one, tell me one time, nobody is going to know the circumstances under which you were dealing with when you were in this role. They will only look at what you did when they're looking back. Don't get caught up in this isn't going right or this is difficult or I have this challenge. Just do what you need to do and get it done. And in other words, he was telling me, look forward from today. If you look back, it's going to stunt your growth. And that's true. We have to learn from our experiences and we can you know, rely on that knowledge, but we cannot look back. We have to look forward. And you're right. People are going to look at the results and you need to be aware of that. And that's something that is really needs to be taught to people because we don't always think that way ourselves. Marcy, I want to thank you for spending some time with us here. I want to certainly wish you all the best in your ASCE presidency for sure. Um, I'll definitely be you know, watching you and I'm willing to help out. And it's been, I mean, listen, from the story you told about your parents and writing the vignettes, which turned into a book, running marathons, you know, your accident, how you overcame it, <laughs> selling businesses, your journey to ASCE president. I mean, this sounds like a movie, not a podcast episode. So much that you've accomplished. I mean, you're really an inspiration to go through all of that and now to be able to lead ASCE, which is, you know, obviously a leading civil engineering organization association. So thank you for spending some time with us. I really appreciate it. And I look forward to your presidency, definitely. Of course. Thank you, Anthony. And I look forward to you helping us. I hope you enjoyed my conversation with Marcy. I mean, she really is an amazing person. She's done so much in her career, and I totally understand her challenge of having to try to slow down. I've dealt with that quite a bit. And it is challenging, but it is important. It's an important challenge to overcome, and I'm glad that she has started to do that. Please remember you can find the show notes for this episode at civilengineeringpodcast.com. There you will find a summary of the key points discussed in today's episode, as well as links to any of the resources, websites, or books mentioned during this episode. We've also started a new show called the Civil Engineering CEO, where I interview civil engineering CEOs from leading firms across the country to understand how they're dealing with some of the biggest challenges in the industry, like the pandemic, the Infrastructure Investment and Jobs Act, the shortage on talent, all of these things. We're getting really interesting perspectives from CEOs of firms of different sizes. We just finished our 10th episode, which was a compilation of the previous nine. You can check them all out at civilengineeringceo.com. That's civilengineeringceo.com. And again, if you're interested in people leadership, project management, or seller doer business development, learning and development programs, we can provide them for your firm, whether it's one of our general programs that you'd like to enroll people in, or we can come in and build a custom program just for your firm to really help you attract, develop, and retain top talent. Until next time, I wish you the best in all of your civil engineering career endeavors. The Civil Engineering Podcast is published by the Engineering Management Institute and is part of EMI's Civil Engineering Media and Entertainment Network. The opinions on the show are those of the hosts and guests, not their employers. For information on EMI's people and project management skills training programs for civil engineering professionals, visit engineeringmanagementinstitute.org.